Hi, I'm retired NYPD Detective Vic Ferrari, and welcome to NYPD Through the Looking Glass, where you'll get unique insight into the New York City Police Department. Before we get started, please check out my Amazon author page, where you'll find my series of behind-the-scenes NYPD books for $10 paperback and $2.99 ebook download. Christmas is coming, so you might want to consider going to that author page and checking out my books, including the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime, and Chaos, and today we're going to have we're going to hear a story from Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Auto Crime Division. And that book actually covers my 10 years in in the NYPD's Auto Crime Division. So obviously in the Auto Crime Division, you're chasing down car thieves. I I've spoke about this before um when I first got hired and in the late 80s early 90s, New York City was averaging 150,000 stolen cars a year. I have no idea what's getting stolen now up there. I've been out of the game so long. But it used to be so easy back then to steal cars because the ignitions on most cars are plastic or cheap metal. And I've seen cars stolen with just a screwdriver, a hammer. I saw a car once stolen. The old Toyota Corollas had those little ignitions. You could take those, I don't know if you remember those old heavy-duty metal scissors that like people cut fabric with. If you could shove that in the ignition and give it a good turn, I mean, you probably cut your hand, but I saw someone steal a car that way. So anyway, car, stolen cars was off the hook. And probably a couple of years before I got hired, the NYPD started installing these, they called them MDTs. We used to call them cash registers. They were called mobile digital terminals. And you could run license plates, vehicle identification numbers you could do driver's license checks so i mean before that you had to either get to a payphone and call the precinct or go over the air and a lot of times in a busy precinct you've got three or four precincts on, on one division or zone and you know if you can't sit there and run plates all night long because everybody would get pissed off at you so anyway with those mdts in the cars you could just drive around and punch plates it was it was like um like playing the slots in Vegas, and eventually you were going to get hit because there was that many stolen cars. So there's different types of car thieves, and I've talked about this before where you've got the pain in the ass, the garden variety ones that just steal drug addicts and kids. They hold on to a car forever. Then you've got the professionals. Professionals, they're, they're more difficult to catch because usually they steal a car and they go from point A to point B because they have an order for it. But there was one car thief that I dealt with throughout my career. He kept popping up. It's like a bad rash. And he was a silver tongue guy. He could talk a dog off a meat truck. And that always enabled him to get a little bit of wiggle room to kind of get out of trouble for a little while. And then he was on to the next best thing until he got picked up again. So it's probably about 1992. My partner and I are in that anti-crime unit, and we're in plain clothes driving around an unmarked car that everybody in the neighborhood knows who we are. And we're going down Kingsbridge Road. Kingsbridge Road is a one-way street. It's very narrow, and it had just snowed. It was probably November or December, and we're going down Kingsbridge Road, and there's this Honda Accord double parked. So we're slowing, slowing down to get around it, and it's got Connecticut plates, and I just punch in the plate. And as we're going past the car, there's this guy about 5'10", well over 300 pounds, and he's got these Elvis wraparound sunglasses, and he's standing next to the car, and he recognizes my partner who's driving, and he goes, yo, and he you know, yells my partner's name, and my partner laughs, and he smiles, and I, we just go past the car, and I go, who is that? And he says, oh, that's Tiny. 
I says, well, whoever gave him that name had a sense of humor. He goes, yeah, he's a car thief. He goes, well, you were on vacation last week or the week before. He goes, I arrested him. I said, oh, that was a stolen car you got involved. Stolen car you got involved in when I was on vacation. He goes, yeah. We got a little bit back, back down the block. And I look at the computer terminal, and it lights up, and it says, stolen vehicle, Bridgeport, Connecticut. So I told my partner, oh, shit, I go, that car is stolen. He goes, I knew it. So my partner, you can't, you can't go, Kingsbridge Road is next to, you'd have to go all the way around. He'd be gone. So my partner puts the car in reverse, and now we're backing up through traffic in the snow, right? So we get up to about the building where we saw this double parked Honda, and it's gone, right? And we see everybody laughing. And we figure out he must have jumped in the car and gone in reverse to get away from us, right? So we back up all the way up Kingsbridge Road, and we find the Honda Accord. It's got the door open, and it's just running up on the sidewalk. And Kingsbridge, uh, Kingsbridge Terrace, had, it's, like, it's on a hill. So when I walked up to the Honda Accord, there was a vacant lot, and there's a hill that goes rolls down to, I think it's Heath Avenue. And I see Tiny rolling down the snow, like a bowling ball down this hill. And I wasn't going to do that. So I told my partner, I go, let's call for another car to secure this Honda and go around the block and catch this guy. And so we go all the way around Kingsbridge Terrace. Took a couple of minutes, right? We get to Heath Avenue and it's abandoned. There's no one on the street except there's a mailman sitting in his postal truck, right? So we jump out. I run up to the mail truck and you got this mail guy. He's eating a chicken leg out of a um a pe- a tup- a thing of Tupperware and he's 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 reading someone's Playboy magazine. So I said, um, you see a big fat three hundred pound guy covered in snow and he points at the building and burps. So I said, Okay, that's good enough for us. So we go we run into the lobby and you can see the watermarks from the snow starting to melt going up the stairs, right? So we put over the radio where we are, we're looking for this guy, giving out the description. And on each floor of this building, they had a little room with a garbage chute, I guess, that would go down into the incinerator in the basement. But they're small. They're like little closets. So I guess it was the second, first or second floor. I pull open the door, and I'm like, there's no way he could fit in one of these. So we start, we're following the water, the, um, the, wet, the wet steps, right? And like probably about the third or fourth floor, it just stops. And, and it stops at one of these little garbage chutes. I go, there is no way he's in there, right? So we pull out our guns, right? I pull open the door, and this, <laughs> this, this guy we nicknamed Tiny, all 300 pounds of him in like a triple thick goose feather jacket, and he's kind of wedged in there, and he goes, hey, guys, how's it going? I said, Tiny, get out of there. And he goes, physics will not allow me to do it. So my partner and I grabbed each arm, each shoulder, and we're pulling him, pulling him, pulling him. Finally, he pops out. We throw the handcuffs on him, and, you know, my partner starts, he has a real, he arrested him, so he knows him a little bit, and he's talking to him, and he goes, he goes, what's the story with the car? And he goes, tiny, and he goes, well, I thought it might have been stolen. I was going to ask you guys to check it out for you, for me, and then I decided, you know what, I think I'm just going to run. So we started laughing. We throw him in cuffs. We bring him into the precinct, and we're processing him, and he's a jolly guy. I mean, laughing. I mean, listen, I never took criminals the things they did unless it was so terrible personally it's like they had a job i had a job you know i I didn't take things out on them we were just goofing around with them and um all of a sudden he goes listen he goes um you know how does this look for me and my partner pulls up his record or whatever and he goes you got a couple of stolen car cases you might be going away for a year and after three he goes yeah i kind of figured that he goes how about i work with you guys 
So what do you mean work with us? He goes, well, I got information. Now, now we're diving into the world of informants. All right. So there's two types of informants. The first is a unicorn. It's very rare. That's the concerned citizen. The concerned citizen will go to the police. It's usually the super of a building. He, in one of his apartments, he knows they're selling drugs out of there. He's seeing activity going back and forth. Maybe at one point, the occupants of this, this apartment call him in and he sees a scale and a gun, a coke. He'll go to the police and he'll keep the police informed. And, you know, whatever he sees, he'll tell law enforcement. But that's very rare. Or you have the nosy neighbor that notices that there's some guy in there who's always got different cars in the backyard and he decides to write down license plates and give that to the police. Again, very rare. Most of the time, an informant is a he or she who gets their hand caught in the cookie jar and they don't want to go to jail. So they're going to give up their friends, their enemies. My experience with informants, very, it's very rare that you get a good one that's almost honest with you. They always hold back information. They always want an extra card to play because they're not going to get out of the criminal world. So they figure if I hold back that one card of something big, if I get caught, yeah, I know you're going to be mad, but you're going to leave me alone because I can give you this. And this guy, Tiny, was one of those guys. So he says, all right, Tiny, what can you give us? And he says, well, he goes, there's these three white guys, and they're from Virginia, and they come up every month or two. And they come up with guns and they want to trade them for cocaine and they bring the coke back down to Virginia and they sell it for more money. And I says, and you're part of this deal? He goes, oh, no. He says, I just, you know, I'm a middleman. I just kind of introduce them to the guys on the block. And I said, do you get a commission for this? He goes, well, you know, they buy me something to eat, which he's lying. But he's telling us that there's these white guys from Virginia that are selling guns, right? We said, all right, well, when do they come up? He goes, well... They'll just kind of beep. I think this is in the time of beepers. He goes, they'll beat me, and I don't have their number. I don't have the beeper. I mean, he was very vague. I said, all right, what we'll, what we'll do is we'll tell the district attorney that you want to cooperate with us, and then what we're going to do is you set up what's called a profit hearing or a queen for a day. And what that is is you work out an agreement where the district attorney brings the defendant in with his representation and usually the cops and spill your guts and Nothing short of a anything except a homicide won't be used against you, right? So we set up this meeting with the district attorney and everything a couple of weeks later, and Tiny's out on bail, and he doesn't show up. So now we're pissed, and we're like, that son of a bitch, he screwed us. He told us just enough to get, we didn't sign him up as an informant yet, but we, you know there was going to be cooperation there, supposedly, so I guess the district attorney agreed to lower bail, and then he flew the coup. So he lived on Kingsbridge Terrace. So what we would do is periodically we would drive by. Every couple of days we would drive by the building. We knocked on the door a couple of times. No, no, nobody knows where he is, right? He's gone. And it's kind of difficult to hide when you're over 300 pounds and you're wearing those Elvis wraparound glasses. But anyway, this is probably November, December, probably about March. It's still cold out and dreary in New York, right? And my partner and I at court that day. And I'll never forget, he brought it up. He goes, you know, let's see what Tiny's up to. Let's go by his, his, his house. I said, all right. So we're driving down Kingsbridge Terrace again. And double parked in front of Tiny's house is a white Jaguar, which is a rare car, with Virginia plates, with three white guys in it, and Tiny in the back seat. I go, do you believe this? Like, it, it was just too good to be true, right? So he's double parked. They don't see us. I run the plate. Boom, the car is uh, reported stolen. I think it was from Norfolk or Virginia Beach, Virginia, right? 
Everybody out of the car at gunpoint, put them up on the hood of the car. We throw the four of them up in handcuffs, right? Call for another couple of police cars to show up. They start taking our prisoners, putting them in the cars. We start looking into the stolen car, and we find two or three guns. And I think they were actually, like, still in the boxes, like, brand new. I don't remember. This is, like, 30-something years ago. But I know the guns were in really good shape, and I think it was three guns. So we, and, and we bring them into the precinct, right? And um, the, the white guys were scared shitless. Like, you know, they're out of state. They got three guns in a car. Um, they're in a stolen car. Tiny is just playing it cool. He's not saying much in front of them. He's, he's actually pretending like he doesn't know us. Like, hey, Tiny. And he's kind of like giving us an attitude. So, well, uh, well, well the guy, one of the guys was getting fingerprinted. And he's like, psst, psst, psst. Go, what do you want? He goes, I got to talk to you. So we pull him out of the cell. We bring him up to the detective's office. We go, you know, you screwed us. He goes, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I, I had a sick relative. He just starts giving us this bullshit story, right? And we're just looking at him skeptically. He goes, I know what you're thinking. He goes, but I'm telling you. He says, um, this was, they just showed up. They didn't even call me. He goes, they just, they, I says, listen, Tiny, we've been coming by your house now every day for weeks. You're never around. These guys just happened to come up from Virginia, took a ride up here, you know, three, 400 miles on the off chance that you would be around. He goes, yeah, we weren't buying it. So I said, you know what, Tiny, tell it to the district attorney's office because I don't want to hear it. Now, my partner had the patience of a saint. And uh, my old partner, he's actually, he, he went on to become a seasoned homicide detective. He's actually, um, he actually, if you, if you go on Netflix and you see the Times Square Killer, I think it's called Crime Scene, the Times Square Killer. He's one of the narrators of it. He wasn't involved in that case, but... He's the guy for that job. I mean, he's just methodical. He listens to what bad guys have to say. I just, after a while, if you screw me once or twice, I really don't want to hear from you anymore. So anyway, Tiny tells my old party, he said it just like this. He goes, would you guys be interested in someone that was around that isn't around anymore? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, you know, they went for the dirt nap. So my partner who went on to homicide was all into it, took down the information. I... Didn't want to hear another word Tiny had to say. And that was the last I heard of Tiny for a while. So a couple of months after that, I go to the narcotics division. And like I've told on other podcasts, I come back to the precinct because I hated it after like a year and a half. And uh, one day I get stuck up by the Bronx Reservoir. Our commanding officer was big with these checkpoints. I hated the damn things. And I'm sitting in a police car and I'm running plates that are coming through the checkpoint and people that are being stopped. The cops that stopped them are coming up to me with their driver's license, and, and I'm checking the driver's licenses. So one of these, one of the cops in the precinct, who was no ball of fire, like I couldn't believe he even had a guy's driver's license in his hand. Like this guy would run away from doing work. He comes up to me and he goes, "Can you run this jersey license?" So I'm looking at it and I go, first of all, this is forged. This isn't a good jersey license." And I'm looking at the photo on the driver's license, and it's tiny, under this bogus name. I think it was Ruben Moy or something. I go, "Wait a minute." I know this guy. He goes, yeah. He goes, his story is shady. I go, what, which car is he in? He goes, that Lexus LX300, LX, what is it? Was it a Lexus SC300? So I, gra I go, I said, did you get the keys out of the ignition from this guy? I go, because if he sees me, he's going to take off. He goes, no, I got the keys to their car. I said, all right. I says, give me the keys. Give me the license, right? So I walk up to the car, and I got the driver's license in my hand, and I'm smiling. And I go, hey, Tiny who the hell is Ruben Moy? And he goes, 
Officer Ferrari, long time no see. He's shaking my hand. He goes, you know, I don't really like to use my name. And then he starts dropping names of other cops that he's probably screwed. And I said, Tiny, I don't want to hear it. You're going to jail. So I take Tiny and his buddy that was in the car. I take, oh, so I'm locking Tiny and his buddy up. His friend also had a forged Jersey driver's license. And I'm looking in the window of this Lexus and the VIN number is forged. So it's what we call a tag job. What a tag job is, is it's a stolen car where all its identification numbers are taken, vehicle identification numbers are taken off the car. And usually they'll invent a VIN number or they'll use a salvage vehicle, a wrecked vehicle, and they'll take those VIN numbers and mask the stolen vehicle. So the car was stolen with the VIN number changed. Tiny had a bogus driver's license and, oh, he had a cloned cell phone. Remember when that was a big thing in the 90s? So I bring him into the precinct with his buddy, and when his buddy goes to use the bathroom, he starts snitching again. Because, you know, he, this guy's into all this stuff, and, I, I, you know, I can, I, I can give you all this information. I can make your career better. I'm like, Tiny, I don't want to hear it. I said, you've lied to us twice already. I'm done with you. No hard feelings, but take your chances with Bronx Criminal Court, right? So I take them down to court. I lodge them. I think nothing of it. I figure this has got to be his fourth or fifth or sixth arrest. He's definitely going away. They got to put him in jail at some point, right? About a week later, I get this cryptic notification. So when you work for the NYPD, you get notified for court like this. There's usually um, in a precinct as a cop, you have an administrative office, or it's called roll call. And notifications, so when a district attorney wants you to show up at court, you just can't go on their word. They have to go through the proper channels, and it goes to your precinct. And then usually when you come into work, your administrative lieutenant or administrative sergeant hands you a slip of paper and says, hey, Ferrari, and the piece of paper will say Bronx Criminal Court, case of the name, the docket number, and the office of the district attorney. So about a week or two after I had arrested Tiny again, I get this cryptic notification. All it says is grand jury. Nothing else, right, with a phone number. I call the phone number like four times. Nobody answers. I'm like, what the hell is this? So I grab, So that morning, I get up. I throw on my uniform. I drive down to the courthouse. I grab a cup of coffee. I go to the grand jury bureau, and they said, oh, yeah, 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 you got to go to this room over here. I said, okay, and gave me a district attorney's name who I didn't recognize her name, and I'm like, I wonder why she never called me back, right? So when I get up to the door, I hear like three or four people inside. It sounds like there's some kind of meeting going on. So I got the coffee in my hand. I knock on the door. I hear come in, and I walk, I walk through the door, and there's a couple of, I think they were um, investigators from the Bronx DA's office, so they might have been detectives from another squad. I don't remember. You've got this young district attorney, and there's Tiny handcuffed to... I don't know, his chair. And he's, he's got this big shit-eating grin. He goes, yo, Ferrari, long time no see. He goes, I hope you brought enough coffee for the rest of us. I said, I don't believe this. I go, you got to be kidding me. So the district attorney goes, I see you two know each other. I said, yeah, we know each other. And then just Tiny is going on like we're old-time pals. He goes, Officer Ferrari is all right. Now, we've had our ups and downs. He says, but Officer Ferrari is basically responsible for two-thirds of my criminal career. I mean, can you believe this guy? I'm responsible. So I told the district attorney, I says, can I talk to you for a minute? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we step outside, and she says, listen, she says, um, we're going to use him as an informant. I says, listen, let me just stop you there. I says, we've tried this with him before. I says, I can give you the other district attorney's name. I said, but 
I says, he's, he always promises you something, and it turns out to be fool's gold, or he goes to you. And she goes, no, no, you don't understand. She says, his uncles are Harlem legends. They're gangsters from the 70s. They're still around. They're not really active, but they're well-respected. So I said to myself, well, that makes sense. That's probably the reason why he's not getting bumped off with his mouth and the way he's always trying to give people up. Basically, his uncles were um, lieutenants in the heroin trade. I think it was for either Nicky Leroy Barnes, Mr. Big, or Frank Matthews. It was one of the two of those guys. And, I mean, they were legends up in Harlem. So that kind of protected Tiny. And that also gave him contacts to sell these stolen cars. And he was in guns, obviously. He was into everything. So I, I told her, I says, if I were you, I says, I wouldn't get involved with him. She goes, well, she goes, he's, he's given us this great case of copyright infringement. He says, copyright infringement? What are you talking about? She says, pirated DVDs and C, um, CDs and DVDs. In the rap industry, I guess someone was pirating them. He was probably a part of it, and he was going to give that up, and they were all over it. Plus, she said he, he was hinting at that he'd give them a couple of homicides. I said, listen, you want to work with him? Fine, but I, I don't want my name attached to this. I, I want nothing to do with this, this guy. So I walk back in the room to get my coffee, and he says, hey, Ferrari, did you put in a good word for me? I said, yeah, yeah, Tiny. I, I gave you, I gave you, I, I gave you my, my, my seal of approval. So I said, you know, Tiny, you won't give up the guys on your block. I said, you're going to give them all this stuff? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, it's legit. I said, all right. And I said, I wished everybody luck. I said, Tiny, good luck. I wish the district attorney and investigators good luck. And I got the hell out of there. So this has got to be about 95, 96, right? And, you know, I go to auto crime division and I run his name a couple of times to see what he's up to. Nothing, right? So probably about a year before I retire, right? I'm the senior detective in the office, and in the auto crime division, we had this thing. It was called calls for service. So the New York City Police Department's got 75 precincts across the five boroughs, and then you've got countless other units, right? Whenever they have a car question, they come to us. So a lot of times it's, you know, some cop makes a stolen vehicle arrest, and the guy wants to give up information. You know, he's a precinct cop. He's not really con- going to run with it if it's at, outside of his precinct. And back then in the 90s, you really didn't do that. You would hand it over to the detectives. So they would call us, and we would debrief, talk to the guy. Other times, a cop will, uh, will stop a car, and they know there's something up with the VIN number. It doesn't match. Or it looks for gazy. They'll call us up, and then we'll go over there, and we'll get the true VIN off the car. So we used to do that all the time, and uh, I was assigned to the Manhattan team. And it was up in the 2-8 precinct one day, and I get a calls for service that one of the new detectives in my office, or maybe he wasn't a detective, he was a cop, it doesn't matter. He had an arrest for a stolen Jeep up in the 2-8 precinct in Harlem. I think nothing of it. I drive up there, we find parking, I walk into the arrest processing room, and who's sitting there but Tiny goes... Officer Ferrari, how are you? Long time no see. And I says, I can't believe this. And he goes, and, and the, the other cop goes, you guys know each other? He's getting all excited. And he goes, and then Tiny goes, Ferrari and I go way back. I mean, you had to give it to Tiny. He's still bullshitting people. He's still getting away with it. And he told this detective all this stuff about chop shops and changing of vehicle identification numbers. So, you know, I'm goofing around with Tiny for a couple of minutes, and then I tell the det- this de- young detective, who I'm gonna, now I'm going to pop his balloon, I says, you know, t- take a walk with me. We've got to go outside. So he's like, listen. He goes, this is great. You've got a rapport with this guy. 
He goes, what I really want to do is, he goes, I want you to help me sign this guy up as an informant. Like, he, he, he thinks we're going to solve the auto theft problem in, in the Bronx and Harlem. I said, listen, listen. I said, Let me, slow down. And I said, this guy, it's one bullshit story after another. This is going to lead to nothing. I mean, I really had to talk this kid out of it before finally he took my advice. So I go back inside and Tiny goes, he goes, how does it look for me? And I go, it doesn't look good. He says, no, no, but I can give you this. I go, Tiny, do me a favor, save it. I says, if you've really got good information, go through the district attorney's office again. But I, I, I want nothing to do with you. So I don't know what happened to Tiny. I'm guessing after everybody's luck runs out, no matter how good of a bullshit story you got, I'm guessing at some point he went upstate. It's also quite possible, you know, after giving people up and, you know, or even, you know, kind of hinting that he could give somebody up, people talk. And after a while, sometimes informants get killed. And somebody like him, it's quite possible because he was into a lot of things. I mean, copyright infringement, stolen cars. He knew about homicides, guns coming up from the South. So, I mean, you keep ratting out your friends and they keep seeing the cops around you. Eventually, your luck's going to run out. But, Tiny, if you're listening out there, reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at VicFerrari50. That guy would make a hell of an interview, but I, I doubt very seriously he would be one of these guys that would come forward and want to spill his guts on a podcast. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in, especially my listeners in Lincoln Park, Michigan, Floral Park, Queens, the Cayman Islands, and Lee's Summit, Missouri. Those are the newest ones that I see pop up on my Buzzsprout account. Again, Christmas is coming. If you enjoy the content of the show, please check out my, my uh, Amazon author page. Just type in my name, Vic, Ferrari Like the Car. My whole uh, Amazon book library will come up, including Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Auto Crime Division, the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops Crime and Chaos, Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate. And that's a funny book. I know it, has, it doesn't really have a lot to do about the NYPD, but it's a lot about growing up in the Bronx and the crazy shit my brother and I got ourselves involved in. Also be sure, my new book, NYPD, Laughing in the Line of Duty, should be out this week, but you can pre-order it, ebook style, uh, $2.99 uh, on Amazon. And uh, what else? All right, well, listen, thanks for tuning in. I'll have another episode next week, and uh, God bless. <laughs>